You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, joined today by Locked On Bengals contributor Mike Santagata. We'll be continuing our film breakdown series today, talking some DJ Reader, talking some big man football. Mike, I know this is one of your favorite things to talk about. And one of the things that we've been doing with this series that I've actually really been enjoying to set the stage for the conversation about the players, you know, we're talking about the position. And obviously something that we've talked about on this show in the last couple of years and going back to free agency when the Bengals signed DJ Reader is that nose tackles in the modern NFL are not as valuable as they once were. As teams are generally throwing the ball more, generally you're only getting a two-down player out of a nose tackle like DJ Reader. The value has diminished from the days when the run game was a lot more popular. There wasn't as much you know, spread the ball out, pass the ball 50 times a game, 60 times a game. So when the Bengals signed DJ Reader, at the time it was Joe Goodberry and I on the podcast, and we were both very happy with the move, especially because he had just had his best pass rushing season in terms of productivity with the Houston Texans. And the idea of adding him to a defensive line that had Geno Atkins, who was still a, an at least above average three technique at the time, was pretty tantalizing, but now at this point in the current iteration of the Bengals, there's no real interior pass rush threat on third downs. This is something that we've been talking about quite a bit. There is Larry Ogunjobi, of course, coming down from Cleveland, but there isn't a Geno Atkins replacement on this roster right now. So all that being said, you also consider the division the Bengals are in. They face Baltimore and Cleveland twice a year, and of course those two teams lean heavily on and are essentially driving their offense off of their running games, which makes it a little more important for the Bengals perhaps to have a guy like Reader. Those are many of my high-level philosophical thoughts about the value of the nose tackle. What are your high-level high philosophical thoughts about the value of a nose tackle in the modern NFL as it pertains to this year's Bengals? Yeah, uh, the first thought would be, you're right. Whenever we move from the early 2000s, late 90s, I formation, every team's running power counter, and then you have the Shanahan running zone, wide zone stuff. Ever since we moved away from that and into this more spread out 11 personnel, Cardinals run 10 personnel a lot, uh, the value of nose tackle has slightly diminished, maybe a little bit more than slightly in some cases. but uh, And then also, I mean, the value of linebacker, you've seen that go down the wayside as well once the fullback leaves you got to replace him with a with a slot cornerback so a lot of what you said i agree with i do think i do think he can be an adequate pat i think i think he is an adequate pass rusher to go with his really good run stop ability but from nose tackles in general really what you're looking for is a guy that's going to take on doubles and not get moved you're looking for a guy that can if you leave him singled up He's going to control two gaps. And uh, mostly what he does is free up other people, keeps your linebackers clean, keeps your pass rusher in a one-on-one. The stuff that, I mean, 
you're not going to see in a stat box, really. And I think I mentioned that a lot in my article is that he did all this, created a sack or an interception, but you don't see it. It doesn't show up in a stat box. I mean, now you have PFF who probably looks at that and grades it highly, uh, but you don't you don't have like he had so many pressures or hurries, quarterback hits, sacks even. So I don't know. A lot of what they do goes unnoticed, and that's one of my favorite things to look at is a player that goes unnoticed, like nose tackles. Yeah, and unfortunately for the Bengals, the other position that often goes unnoticed is the offensive line positions, and those guys have been very noticed for the wrong reasons, unfortunately, for the last few years. But I I think it is nice to give guys like this their due because, as you point out in really the companion piece to this podcast, as as we've been doing, you've you've written these pieces for allbengals.com. This one went up on July 9th. Why DJ Reader is one of the Bengals' best defenders. So if you're sitting at home listening to this and you have the time, I highly encourage you to go read that piece, even have it up, and, and you can check out some of the clips in there while we're talking about DJ Reader on the show today because we will reference those plays. As we have the last few weeks, we've talked about these plays that Mike has pulled out and used as examples because he finds them to be emblematic of the player and, and representative of the skill set. I, I do think it's interesting to see how DJ Reader specifically was utilized by the Bengals in 2020. In terms of where he aligned, very similar to how Houston lined him up in terms of percentage of snaps at nose tackle, percentage of snaps uh, you know, at, at 2i or at 3 tech, meaning just inside the guard or just outside the guard as opposed to head up on the center or just outside the center, which would be those nose tackle reps. Very similar splits. About 20% of his snaps in the last couple of years have been nose tackle, and that leaves about 80% where he's moving to some other positions on the defensive line. I think in, in Houston even, he was doing some five tech for them, and I don't think we saw as much of that with the Bengals, but similar usage from Houston to Cincinnati. And a lot of people see DJ Reader and they think, oh, this guy's a nose tackle. He's he's lined up in nose tackle alignments, meaning over the center or just off the center's shoulder on most of his plays. But it turns out that's not the case, which for me, when the Bengals signed him and I really went and, and went back and watched him in Houston, I was a little surprised by, what do you think that means for a guy of his size? Do you think that Ideally, he would be playing more nose straight up, or is this just an alignment thing with the way the Bengals play defense? I think it's matching what the offense is doing a lot of the time. There's plenty of plays where I think week one, he's next to Mike Daniels, and let's say Hunter Henry flips from one side to the other. DJ Reader was at nose, and then he flips to three tech. Mike Daniels flips into one tech. And you can see that with the guys we keep signing. Larry Ogunjobi has experienced both three-tech and one-tech. Mike Daniels, same thing. And then you have DJ Reader, same thing. So they like to be able to just match motion that way and keep the keep uh, what they want. So when you ha- the tight end dictates like your run strength. And you're going to, in an overfront, you'll put your three technique to the run strength because they're probably running that way with, if the tight end's on the ball, for example. And then if he flips over, you have to flip. Now, you can do that with linebackers or whatever you want, but the way we do it a lot of the time is to flip our defensive line. So 
I think really three tech versus one tech, I mean, it matters, but I think for our scheme specifically, it's not as concrete to be a nose tackle versus a three technique. I do think that the Bengals did actually make a concerted effort to get other players lined up in those interior positions, more interior positions than DJ Reader. If you go look at the guys that played a majority of the Bengals nose tackle snaps last year, they, they I mean, obviously DJ Reader missed a lot of time, but in the games that he played even, like guys like Christian Covington were getting in there and getting more nose tackle snaps. And later in the year, different guys as the Bengals got more and more injured at the position. But I, I did find it to be interesting, but you're right. Obviously, there are going to be a number of plays where the, the offense dictates how you align. And it is interesting to note how the Bengals react to that because you see it a lot in the secondary, right? You'll see secondaries rotate. You'll see linebackers communicating. And you, you obviously see defensive linemen move, but... I think that probably a lot of people when they watch games aren't paying as much attention to those subtle movements on the defensive line that change alignment significantly pre-snap. Let's talk a little bit about DJ Reader's strengths, about where he shows up as an elite player, because if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you remember that Joe and I were very excited with this move, even though it was a nose tackle, because DJ Reader's really good at football. We'll talk about some of his strengths coming up next. DJ Reader is a very strong man, and a lot of our listeners would also like to be very strong human beings. If you would like something to help you attain your goal of being a very strong human being, and you need a protein bar to help you on that mission, Built Bar has you covered. They taste fantastic, and they have a ton of great flavors to match whatever flavor profile you're interested in, from coconut to strawberry, raspberry, cookies and cream, German chocolate. And if you're not sure which individual flavor you'd like, get a mix box. You can get two of each of those nine flavors. Not only do they taste great, covered in 100% real chocolate, they're healthy too. 17 to 18 grams of protein on just 130 to 180 calories, low in sugar. Go check it out right now at Built.com. Go get yourself the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. And you'll save 15% when you order right now when you use promo code LOCKED15. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Mike, before we dive into the individual player DJ Reader, which we're about to do in the imminent future, you talked about an overfront and you talked a little bit about what an overfront means, but I just want to take a moment to define for listeners what it is that you mean when you say overfront what that means so an overfront is to the run strength typically a tight end on the line of scrimmage or something like that <clears throat> your three technique is going to be set towards him so he's going to be in between the garden tackle on the side of the tight end if you can understand that then the opposite where the three techniques away that's called an underfront so there's two fronts for you but yeah, so the run strength is going to dictate your front a lot of the time, and the tight end usually dictates the run strength. So it's mostly about the interior defensive lineman alignments. It doesn't have as much to do with the edge guys. Not as much to do with the edge guys with this specific four-down type of front. So there you go. There's some definitions. And I know sometimes things, if you're anything like me, you need to see pictures sometimes. You can, go, you can Google this stuff too. 
you can tweet at us. We can give you some resources out there. But I did want to talk through those definitions since the defensive line terminology tends to get really jargony. Every now and then we get questions like, what do you mean when you say zero tech? What do you mean when you say three tech? And all that is is talking about where players are lined up and it starts at zero, just to reiterate, that starts at zero when a player is head up over the center and then for every gap. So from over center to between center and guard to over guard to between guard and tackle to over tackle to outside tackle, every one of those gaps goes from zero to one to two to three. And you'll hear Mike say something like a two I or a four I from time to time. And all that means is they're in that gap. So a two I would be over the guard, but on the inside shoulder. A four I would be over the tackle, but on the inside shoulder. So some terminology, just want to put all that out there for the people before we start to talk about this, because I'm sure it will come up when we start to talk out, talk about some of these DJ reader plays. But DJ Reader, the player, let's talk about scouting report first. You've written about this on allbengals.com. The obvious things are incredibly strong, very smart, I think. What is your scouting report on DJ Reader? Incredibly strong, yeah. That's the first thing that popped up. Uh, the first clip was, I think, a right guard on a quarterback sneak trying to get low and get he picks him up and basically pushes him into Tyrod Taylor to stop the fourth down attempt. I thought that was really impressive from a strength perspective. Smart, and then I'd also say technically sound. A lot of this, a lot of defensive line coaches, um, lock, peak, shed is like almost like uh, the highest level of run stopping. It's like you lock your guy out with one arm basically so that he can't reach you. One arm's longer than two. And then you're going to peek because he's outside of you. You're going to peek into your gap and then you're going to shed whether the running back's probably not going to run right into you. If you've locked a guy out and you're peeking there, so he's probably going to go to the opposite side. So then you move across his face, cross face, chop, rip, swipe, whatever to get into the other gap. And that's your shed and then make a play. So lock, peek, shed make a tackle. I think he's really good at lock peak shed type stuff where you're going to lock a guy out peak and then shed to make the stop. And if you're going to be a really good run stopper, typically you are really good at that specific technique. Some other things that stand out to me with DJ reader are obviously his size. He's an average heighted, uh, interior defensive lineman at six, three, but obviously 327 is what he weighed in at the combine. He probably played somewhat close to that weight last year because he'd lost some weight coming from the Texans where I think he was closer to 350 at times. So has incredible bulk for an interior defensive lineman, as you would expect for nose tackles. These guys are generally the heaviest players on a football field. He's got pretty good arm length. This is something that we've talked about a lot with offensive linemen and was a limiting factor for, and sometimes is a limiting factor for some of these guys. Uh, one example that was recently with the Bengals, Andrew Billings, relatively short arm. Sometimes you saw that affect his tackle radius and, and would result in him being in position to make a play. But, you know, he would just play like he couldn't quite reach or, or make that final move to close and make the tackle. That could also be an agility issue, a short area quickness issue that can sometimes be accentuated by arm length. You certainly see arm length come up in that conversation when you're talking about 
locking out a block. And when offensive linemen, there's obviously a priority for a lot of NFL teams to uh, emphasize length for offensive linemen when you can have that on the defensive side as well to just fight that length battle inside. It only facilitates things. And if 33 and 5 eighths inch arms, he's in the above average area for length for an interior defensive lineman. I would also actually argue he's a pretty good athlete for his size. Obviously, for his size is a big quantifier when you're talking about a 330 to 350 pound man. And there are times when it does show up as a bit of a limitation, but for his size, I think still a relatively good athlete. Yeah. Uh, he was two sport athlete in college too. He played baseball. So he's the uh, model of don't just have your kids specialize because playing a second sport, he had to be a pretty good athlete to be able to play that. So, and it shows up. So really, I think everything you're saying is true. And I think the one area that we haven't talked about is his pass rush. And I think he strength bull rush, that type of thing. But I mean, just being strong doesn't give you a good bull rush. It has to do with leverage and hand placement, stuff like that, that he's really good at. So he's, very technically sound on his bull rush. He's very strong. He plays with good leverage because he's only average height. He doesn't need to get down as like a six foot six, 300 something pound guy. So he can really drive guys, good players too, back into quarterbacks, condensed pockets. That's one of those things where is it really counted as a pressure or a hurry or anything like that because you squeeze a pocket and now a quarterback can't really step into his throws? That's something that doesn't show up a lot of times on stat sheets because, I mean, we talk about hurries and pressures like they're objective stats, but really they're subjective to whoever is doing the counting. Absolutely a very subjective stat. Whoever's doing the charting is going to have a different definition. And you try to be consistent, of course, and say that this is what counts as a hurry or a pressure, but it's very difficult to compare apples to apples sometimes in the NFL. One thing that really stood out to me in your article that you've talked about a few times is technically sound. And you talk about hand placement. One thing that came up consistently, I noticed in your article on allbengals.com is hand placement. Look at the hand placement on this play. Is this something that you would say is, is one of the top aspects of his game, just really accurate hands? Or is it something that happened to pop on the plays that you highlighted? I think it's, uh, well, both because, I mean, he is really good at it and it does pop on those specific plays. And hand placement's huge. Missing your hand placement, you could think of offensive tackles, really. When you miss your hand placement, you're beat and it's a pressure or a sack. But defensive linemen, it's the same thing. You need to be able to work your hands the right way. I mean, they talk specifically some defensive line coaches in what I would call the Pete Jenkins school of thought is your hands are the, like the most important part of being a defensive lineman. They're going to help you beat uh, they're going to help you beat the blocks, block destruction, everything like that, where you get your hand, one hand right into the sternum down the center and the other hand, either on the out, a lot of times on the outside shoulder pad. So that way he can't get a clean, Really, the battle between offensive line and defensive line a lot of time is who can hit whose chest because then you're going to control the block. So if you get your hand down the middle of his chest, already great hand placement. Other hand on the outside to be able to quickly club, rip, swipe, whatever move you need to do to shed, 
and knock them over so that you can make a stop or you can get some pressure on a quarterback. It's it's huge, and he's really, really good at it. It's, it's a good thing you noted that because I forgot to really harp on his hand placement, but that was one of my favorite things watching where if he's too gapping, he's got hand on both sides of the breastplate, you know, right in the inside armpits. And then when he's one gapping sternum outside shoulder. And there could be some additional talk about hand placement. We could have get into some of the nitty gritty. If you're really into it, I'm sure Mike would be happy to send you some of the, some of his favorite uh, coaches clinics on YouTube talking about hand placement. He can hook you up. We're going to talk a little bit more DJ reader, maybe a little bit more hand placement, maybe take a look at some of the better offensive linemen that he's gotten the best of or had some good battles with coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action baseball season in the second half of the season. The Reds making their playoff push. If you're really optimistic, go get in on the Reds playoff odds, the Reds NL central odds, or maybe you just want to get in on the last couple of games of the NBA finals coming down to the wire between Milwaukee and Phoenix. If it's UFC or MMA, that's your thing. They've got odds for that stuff as well. And of course, They've got Cincinnati Bengals odds for the upcoming season. So go check out all of the news and real-time updated odds on betonline.ag. We've got a sign-up bonus for you right now. If you use promo code LOCKEDON when you sign up at BetOnline, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Mike, let's wrap up our conversation here with DJ Reader by talking about the best offensive line he played in 2020 with the Bengals. Obviously, you can go back and watch him with the Texans go against Quentin Nelson. There's like entire articles dedicated to DJ Reader versus Quentin Nelson matchups. And it's really fun to watch that. Much the same that it was fun to for me. We talked about this at some point to go back and watch Tyler Shelvin against Alabama center Landon Dickerson because those two guys both really good at their positions and have similar strength or not similar strengths, but just a strength on strength. And it's fun to watch those kinds of matchups. And for the Bengals in 2020, it was DJ reader against the Cleveland Browns offensive line. When the Bengals played the Browns the first time early in the season. And obviously the Browns had their share of victories. It is a very good offensive line, but you were able to highlight him beating all three of the Browns very good interior offensive lineman. And the most notable is probably if you can beat Wyatt Teller on a run play, you've done something really good. Wyatt Teller turned out under Bill Callahan to all of a sudden be one of the best run blocking right guards in football. Yeah. I think all three of the Browns interior, you can make an argument are all pro level or at least pro bowl level. And specifically last year, Wyatt Teller was definitely an all pro type player. Just, Game's play was the only argument against him. His play, I think all three of the plays I highlighted were also against the Browns' favorite run play in wide zone. They, they're they well-versed in everything, but specifically he's beating them on their favorite play. The Wyatt Teller one, uh, he just doesn't let Wyatt Teller reach him, and you could see starts as uh, a one-tech, and once he reads the flow, which – flow of the offensive line moving one way wide zone. It looks like bulls on parade. Uh, he's going to stick out his arm and just keep him basically back there. So he's not doing anything. 
and then he's still able to get in there and help make the stop as well. So Wyatt Teller does basically nothing on the play except just hang on DJ Reader's outside. I think it's a really impressive play to not let a guy like that reach you or fight through and get a hand on your chest or move you at all. So that that was a really impressive play. And then J.C. Treader and Joel Batonio, both also great guys, wide zone, and they're both great at wide zone, and he beat them too. Yeah, let's talk about that first play for a second because as I've done in previous weeks and as I encourage our listeners to do, I have your all Bengals post up here as a companion to the podcast and we can watch it together. Uh, you can see exactly what you're talking about here. He lines up inside of the the Browns right guard on the play, which is Wyatt Teller. And the, the, the thing that stands out to me, well, really, it's two things. One, reaction time, immediately making that read and getting moving down the direction of the the Browns movement on the play. It's a it's a wide zone to the left side. He's not worried about backside contained because he has help there. He has linebacker, second level, even third level coming down to fill the backside of the play. So he's just trying to stay in front of it. And the other thing that stands out is you mentioned that back arm. And maybe you need to watch this to understand it, but the back arm locking out and keeping keeping a Wyatt Teller from really having any possibility to get in front of him, to cut him off because he's just holding him back. And, and you talk about using that one arm length to, to maximize your leverage. I think he did a great job on the play. And then the, the, in general, the front side of the Bengals defense does an okay job here. But if DJ reader isn't there, this, this doesn't necessarily go for a short game. Yeah. The reaction time is insane where he's probably keying the ball and he sees the center step that way and the right guard step that way. So he knows without even looking. Wyatt Teller is also stepping this way. This is a wide zone play. Just knowing the uh, the Browns' tendencies and figuring a center and a left guard to reach left, probably take that big bucket step, then you know what's coming. But he, I mean, that's one thing to say that from my view, and another to say it when you're on the field. And yeah, lockout. St- keeps moving, and I think it's impressive that he's able to move that quickly at 320, 325, whatever weight he was at that game. And I also think week one, he was carted off the field. So he's probably still mm-hmm. a little bit injured when he beat these guys. Uh, you could say he's not on the injury report, but that just means he doesn't have a specific injury still lingering, but he had to be carted off on week one. That I don't think that gets better in Thursday night football was five days later. So an injured DJ reader beat all three of the elite Browns interior offensive linemen and specifically on their favorite play in wide zone. And I, I think that's really impressive. Yeah. The other thing that stands out on this particular play, not looking at DJ reader, but looking at the three tech and I don't know who was playing three tech on this play, but he, he doesn't immediately move in the direction of the play. His first step is, is straight up field. And then he sort of starts to figure it out and starts moving with it. I, I think that that kind of points out that DJ Reader is making a better play here than than the three tech on this particular play. Is there anything that stood out to you on the other two Cleveland plays where he went against Petonio and went against Treader that you want to point out? Uh, I will say one thing is that watching the game, I could have pulled up a bunch of plays against Treader. He really had his way with him uh, that game, which is really impressive because I think Treader is a very good player. Uh, against 
against Petonio, I think it was a really impressive throw-by type move where he's hanging with him. He's too, he's straight up two technique, I believe, and he runs with him on the wide zone. Again, quick reaction time. You're going to see that, I think, with all three plays. Quick reaction time, hangs with him, and then once he sees, I think it's Nick Chubb, uh, cut back. I can't remember who won on the front side, but he cuts back. He throws Petonio aside, which is really impressive to basically pick up and ragdoll throw one of the best left guards in the entire league. And then, I mean, it's similar stuff with the uh, center play, but that one uh, against Treader, he actually makes the stop as a tackle for a loss. And I think that's good to point out as not only is he stopping the run by forcing the running back into the unblocked defenders, but he can also make the play himself. Yeah. And he, he of course had missed the tackle on the Betonio play, which shows up from time to time. You point this out in the areas to improve and his tackling efficiency, according to PFF charting did get much worse for the Bengals. So I was wondering if there's maybe something going on a little bit differently where they're asking him to do that one and a half gap more where, you know, you're responsible for one gap and then you try to disengage once the, ball carrier changes his direction you get into another gap a little bit different from two gapping uh, maybe you can explain this better than me the, the two gapping idea the old Dick LeBeau idea the old Dick LeBeau defense not really so common in the NFL anymore and instead this concept of one and a half gapping has replaced it yeah basically the main difference is that two gapping your head up you've got your hands both right on the inside of the player and you're controlling him and you have both these gaps and they're just yours while one and a half, two gap, one gap type thing is you still use hand placement, like one gap, lock a guy out, like I've said, and then you have a primary gap, like your a gaps, your primary gap, but then you're also a secondary gap for the B gap. And that just lets you overlap more players into these gaps so that DJ reader isn't responsible for both a gaps. He's responsible for the A gap and then he gives help to the B gap. And because he's a really good player, he's also basically responsible for the B gap because he's probably getting there. Yeah. So it's it's more of a shared responsibility. It allows a little bit more dynamism. I would say a little bit more fluidity to the defense, probably a little bit more complicated as well to deal with uh, as compared with some other approaches, not necessarily less complicated than two gapping straight up, but I would say it's probably more complicated than like, a one gap approach where it's like, I have this gap and everybody is responsible for their one gap or, or am I, am I misunderstanding that? No, I think you're right. I think it's harder to run against a team that has guys that are doing one and a half gaps or yeah. primary, secondary, whatever you want to call it. And compared to the old run up field, get penetration, any penetration is good penetration. You're in this gap type thing because, well, I mean, when you're only in one gap and if you have a really good player, if he's just in that one gap, you just don't run there. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the other th- There are two more things I want to talk about. We're going long at this point, so it's a good thing that we decided to spend all of our minutes on DJ Reader and nose tackle, interior defensive line play. You talk about the, the bare front gaining popularity around the NFL as a way to combat the wide zone. It limits the amount of double teams the offense is able to execute. This is all in your article on allbengals.com. You also talk about what the bear front is, which is a nose tackle with two, three techniques outside of him. And generally you have five guys, as I understand it, on the line of scrimmage and effectively defensive line alignments. Is this something that the Bengals did a lot of last year against the wide zone? 
Yeah, uh, not a ton against everybody, but specifically against teams like Cleveland, who love the wide zone with Bill Callahan. Yes, we use the bare front a bit. And yeah, the main point is that you have a zero technique, a three technique, and a three technique, and you're all going one way. You could really only get one combo double. The whole point of zone running is to get as many combos and doubles as you can and get horizontal displacement, which is moving a guy laterally rather than vertically. And you could see on the one play I highlight where we were in a bare front, the only combo they got was on DJ Reader, and it did nothing because he's our, he's got his hips to the back of, I think it's Wyatt Teller trying to give him a bump. And Wyatt Teller can't spend his time to get underneath DJ. He has to get to the second level. It makes sense. And DJ Reader in this bear front is playing that nose tackle. Last thing I want to talk about as it pertains to DJ Reader is the pass rushing chops. It's something that when the Bengals signed him in free agency last year, we were expecting to see. You know, this isn't necessarily a, you know, Damon Harrison kind of signing where he's truly a one dimensional player, elite at one thing. He also did show the ability to get after the passer a little bit in Houston and didn't have a full season to do it in Cincinnati, but you've highlighted a couple of plays in this article where he affects the passer in ways that maybe aren't charted necessarily as pressures, but in some cases are, and in other cases, at least speed up the internal clock of the quarterback. So what is it in DJ readers pass rushing arsenal that, that you like, obviously we talked about the bull rush earlier, but you need a counter move because you can't be a one trick pony in the NFL. Three things. One is the bull rush. I mean, 320 pound guy that can get leverage and push you like that. But then once the offensive lineman starts, okay, I'm not going to let this guy build up ahead of steam. He doesn't have elite acceleration because he's 320 pounds. I was good on him early. He has a counter move that it's called a throw by or a snatch is what North Dakota state calls it. And you basically throw, I, I called it a pull down. You just pull down and throw the guy essentially when he tries to get on you use his momentum against him judo type stuff where he's coming right at you okay come at me you're gonna go to the side and i'm gonna get a free it slingshots him too right at the quarterback it's a really cool move and then the third thing is that he gets his hands up really well he gets his hands up to bat passes and on logan wilson's interception off of the eagles they ran a mesh play carson west doesn't really read it that well which is indicative of last year but he gets his hand up and bats the pass, making an even easier interception for Logan. You talk about uh, a couple of areas for improvement in the article. We're not going to get into those today because we're out of time. But just for a teaser, we, we've talked about one of them. You can go check out the other area that Mike has identified for DJ to improve in on oldbengals.com. Why DJ Reader is one of the Bengals' best defenders. Mike, Appreciate the time as always. Really enjoy talking about some of these players with you in greater depth. For more depth on another Bengals player, also up on allbengals.com is Mike's most recent piece on Von Bell. We may be visiting that one in the future on this podcast, but with training camp starting up, we might have to shift our focus to what's going on with the Bengals as they start to get together to prepare for the 2021 season. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Until next time, Bengals fans, hootay and have a good one.